Amen. Everybody doing well? Good. Kiddos, you guys are dismissed. Uh, For everyone else, grab your Bibles and go to Isaiah chapter 9 with me. Isaiah chapter 9. If you've been here, this is our fourth week uh, in our Advent series that we're just simply calling Promises Fulfilled. So all we're doing is we're going back and looking at Isaiah 9, primarily verse 6, uh, because there's four specific promises that were foretold, uh, and so we're going week by week to look at these promises and how Christ has fulfilled them. So uh, Isaiah 9, we're going to pick it up in verse uh, 6 this morning. So as you're flipping there, uh, just want to ask, because I know we have multi-generations and people who have lived all over the country, who in here has an experience an actual white Christmas? Like snow coming down, a lot of people. Did Delonica have one? I wasn't here 10 years ago. Gosh, I missed it. So that, that's one of my dreams, right? Like I want a white Christmas so bad because there's something tranquil. I mean, just as the snow is falling, and you know simultaneously the world is falling apart, right? People are slinging into the ditches, and, and Dahlonega Power is going to be out for the next 10 to 20 days, depending on where you live. Wi-Fi is down for a month because Windstream is glorious. But in the moment, there's just that tranquility of like peace, and everything is so silent and everything is so quiet. So what I secretly want, and I've been praying, and this will show you how much favor I have with God, is for a white Christmas. And this year it's going to be 50 degrees, so God must be mad with me. But we look at that and we just think of the idea of peace. And so we hear that word peace all the time throughout Christmas and what it really means and what it looks like. And uh, for me, it's like just that picture perfect silence. It's always so silent when the snow's falling and it's just beautiful. And that's what we picture of peace. But some of us, it's getting up before the kids and having that first cup of coffee. For some college students, there's peace right now. You took the last final. Riley walked across the stage yesterday. Congratulations. Like there's a moment of like, oh, I, I did it. Aren't you going to a master's though? So you didn't do it yet, but for now, you did it. Like you've, you've completed, there's that moment of peace, but there's all these different definitions of what brings ultimate peace. And so this morning, we want to look at what Isaiah 9 says, and then we're going to see how Christ fulfilled it. So let's pick it up, Isaiah 9, we're just going to read 6 and 7. Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that's that main promise we're going to look at. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David, on the, over his kingdom, to establish it, to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So let's pray. And Father, we're so grateful uh, that these promises were fulfilled, that 700 years before Jesus came, these promises were made of here's who Jesus is going to be, here's what he's going to do, and here's what he'll accomplish for the glory of God, for the benefit of us. And so, Father, this morning we just pray as this is the last Sunday leading into Christmas uh, that we would ground ourselves not in the trinkets and the holidays and the movies, but Father, what, what does the Prince of Peace mean And would we marvel at, would we adore that Christ has come? And would that be what changes our hearts this Christmas? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. 
Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've kind of stopped and said, okay, where are we in Isaiah? Because this really matters. And, and so the last couple of weeks, we've done a longer explanation. I'm going to keep it more brief this week. Uh, but basically, Isaiah is a prophet for God speaking to Judah because Judah is about to fall. Because of their sin, because of their disobedience, Judah, Jerusalem, all of that is about to be overtaken by the Assyrians. So it's ironic here then that, that the promise of the coming Savior would be a prince of peace because they're about to go into wartime. They're about to go into a time of destruction, of dismay. But that's the beautifulness of the book of Isaiah is there's this constant back and forth of destruction but hope. It's suffering plus promises. It's brokenness but a better future. And really, for us, we should sit and study and marvel at Isaiah because that's our life, right? I mean, there's always some kind of brokenness, but through Christ we have hope. There's always some kind of destruction, but, but we have the promises that God is going to come back through Christ. He's going to send him in return. And that's what we get to celebrate through Advent is his first coming and then to look forward to a second coming. So that's, that's the setting that these people, their land is about to be destroyed. They're about to be taken as exiles moved out of their country. But the whole premise, the whole promise of Isaiah is there is a better time coming for the people of God, and we get to live there. So we see in Isaiah 9, 1, where this picks up, but there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Yes, your land's about to be taken over. Yes, you're going to lose loved ones through this battle. Yes, you're going to be exiled from your land, from your homes, but there should be no gloom because I'm sending a better one. I'm sending the perfect one, which will be Christ's. So three weeks ago, Dylan covered Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Two weeks ago, Stephen covered uh, Jesus as mighty God. Last week, I covered Jesus as the everlasting father. And this morning, we get to see Jesus as the prince of peace. And this kind of just set the context for uh, the rest of this morning, because as strange as it was for the people of God in this time to hear, well, you're, you're telling us where our land's going to be destroyed, but Jesus is going to bring peace, like how quickly is this peace going to come? We see this confusion all throughout the Gospels, right? All throughout the Gospels, the disciples were constantly waiting for Jesus to overthrow Rome, to overthrow the government, and bring peace back for the people of God within the nation of Israel. And, and so what Jesus did was quite the opposite. I mean, he walks in or rides into Jerusalem not on a white horse to overthrow the government, but on a donkey. I mean, that, the, the confusion of Jesus' death and willingly laying down his life was not what they were expecting, that the Prince of Peace was supposed to bring peace through a sword, not through his death. And the same thing for us, I think there's going to be a bit of confusion as we get into this, because peace does not come through what we think it would. We think more possessions, right? I mean, this is Christmas season. If I get more things, then I'm going to be happy. Then finally I'll be at peace. Well, if I have more of this or I have more of that, then my soul will be at peace. And my simple question is, how's that working for you? It's not. It, it never does. And so for us this morning, we have to answer this question, what is peace and where does it actually come from? So for that end, let's go to the book of Luke. So we've kind of seen Jesus as the uh, the Prince of Peace. So let's see his entrance and, and what is prophesied over him even at that stage. Luke 2, we're going to read 8 through 14. And if you're a Charlie Brown Christmas fan, you're welcome. Luke 2, 8 through 14.
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And there will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger. And suddenly there was a, with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. So here we see the magnificent story of Christ coming, the shepherds hearing about it. But I really want to zoom in on verse 14. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. The other translations would put it this way. And on earth, peace to the men on whom his favor rests. Or the NASB says, on earth, peace among men who he is pleased. Now this is a massive hint into where peace actually comes from. Because peace and pleased are in the same exact sentence. So what we can start gathering from this, and we'll prove this through the rest of scriptures, is that peace only comes from God being pleased with us. So peace only comes from God being actually pleased with us. Now, that doesn't sound like this crazy mystery to us, but it should. I mean, the fact that Christ, I'm getting ahead of myself, but the fact that Christ came and brought peace through Jesus Christ is marvelous. I mean, this is what should bring us to our knees during the Christmas season, is the incarnation that Christ came, because apart from that, there would be no peace forever and ever. We would constantly be living this season of unrest and unpeace. And if God is actually pleased with us, then what else matters? That if God is pleased with us, if we have peace with God, then we really kind of have to ask the question, then what are we worried about? That if the God of the universe that has cattle on a thousand hills, that owns everything, that with his voice can speak anything to an existence, if that God is pleased with us, if we have peace with him, then what are we concerned with? Then, then why should anything else matter? Because that is such a massive truth for us. So I just want to look at three things this morning. Peace with God. What does this mean? Peace with ourselves. How does this come about? And then peace with others. What are we truly responsible for in that regard? So first we're going to look at Jesus as the Prince of Peace came to bring us first and foremost peace with God. And this missing peace that I think we miss way too often. So if you want to flip, we're done with Luke. We're now going to go to Romans. I'm going to be all over the New Testament. So you don't have to, but... But Romans 5 would probably be one, a good one for you to see with your own eyes. Romans 5. Because we're going to get to the, the bottom of what does it mean for us to have peace with God and why this is such a big deal. And why Jesus was the only one that could accomplish that for us. Because Romans 5, we'll pick it up in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So so this is the gospel, right? I mean, there's no simpler definition than this, that we have been justified by faith alone, through Christ alone, therefore we now have peace with God now and forevermore, that we are at peace, that we are at right standing with who God 
is. So we look at this idea of peace, we see shalom and and this appearance of calm and, and tranquility among individuals, groups, and nations. But the deeper and more foundational meaning of peace is this, the spiritual harmony brought about by an individual's restoration with God. This is the best way that we can define peace this morning. The spiritual harmony brought about by an individual's restoration with God. And we see here, Romans 5.1, that's what we have. We have a restoration with the God of the universe only through King Jesus. So then we have to go, okay, well then what was our life like before then? How did God view us before we were restored? If we were restored, then we had to be somewhere else. What did that somewhere else actually look like? Well, that's a great question. Paul answers that. Look with me at Romans 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 6. While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. Romans 5.8. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So therefore we have now been justified by his blood. How much more will we be saved from the wrath of God? And this is where we answer the question, what was our lives like before Christ brought us peace with God? Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God to the death, or by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Did y'all catch that word? That we were enemies of God before Christ came to bring us peace that we were enemies, that we were at war. See, this is where the idea of peace and tranquility, that we have peace with God, just, just goes right over our heads. Well, of course we have peace with God. God loves us. God loves everything. God loves the world. But if there's sin in us, the Scripture would say, no, no, we are his enemies, that we are at war with him that we have nothing, that God just can't coexist, can't just oversee that. We are actively at war with the God of the universe. And God sent Christ even in that midst. But here's, here's my fear for all of this, that we just miss it, that we miss the fact that we were once at enemies with God, and through Christ now we've been made peace with God. We just miss it. We missed the whole narrative of the Old Testament. I mean, we took a while to preach through the book of Joshua, and we saw how God viewed his enemies. If God's, or people attacked the people of God, what happened to them? I mean, he went after them. He destroyed the nations to protect the people of God. He got rid of his enemies. But we hardly stopped to think that that was us, and we just miss it. When I was a youth pastor, uh, we, had, we took this mission trip, and one of the things that we did was uh, we had like a little backyard Bible club, playground, all that kind of stuff. So in between the Bible lessons, the kid would be running around and having fun, and one of my middle school girls came running up to me. She said, Pastor Gabe, my arm really hurts. And I just looked at it and go, okay, what happened? She's like, I tripped and fell. It really hurts. I'm like, uh, go, go play. You're, you're fine. Like, don't shake it off. When about five minutes later, I get a phone call from one of our other adult leaders that's literally taking her to the ER. Hey, I've got so-and-so. We're going to the ER. Her arm's broken. I'm like, that, no, it's not. Like, she literally just walked over to me, showed it. She's fine. Don't, don't sweat it. Not, no, like, I will send you a picture. It is broken. And so when she sent me the picture, I don't know if something happened in between or if I just missed it because her arm made a U, like literal U-shaped down, back up. 
missed it. I don't know how I missed that. I had to go back to apologize about a million times. I felt so bad that I just missed it. But here we are, missing it. That's my greatest fear for us this morning, that we're missing it. We're missing how God viewed us before Christ came. We're missing how God viewed us before Christ paid the ultimate price for us, which is his death. We're missing it because we all, I mean, we've bought into this lie from culture that we're all just naturally good, that we're, that we're good people, that, that we're fine, that there's no big deal. Man, God loves us, but like, we're, we're okay. We can survive without that. Everyone in, is innately a good person, but Romans 5 would tell us the opposite. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps a good person he would die. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, while we were at war with God, Christ died for us. And if we don't, if we don't get this, then, then we miss it. Here, here's what I mean. The next chapter, Romans 6, right? And this is probably something we all have probably heard, grown up, memorized, VBS. Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is what? All right. The wages of sin is death. So here's maybe another way to come at that. Um, one of my favorite miracles is Luke, uh, where Jesus heals Lazarus from the dead, right? It's in John 11, Luke, it's all the Gospels. So Jesus walks into Lazarus' scripture to say he was in the ground for four days. I mean, he was dead, dead. It, it wasn't like, oh, he was kind of maybe dead, maybe not. Like four days, he was dead. The King James, I say this every time because I love it, said that when Lazarus came out, he stinketh, right? So like his body was actually starting to decompose because he stinketh. Now just think, stinketh. So Jesus walks onto the scene, and we have to put ourselves in this story. Because if we don't, we've, we've missed the whole point of peace with God. That if our wages of sin is death, then we are in the tomb with Lazarus. There's nothing we can do to get out of that tomb. We are dead, dead, dead. The wages of our sin is death. We've all sinned, so we're all laying in this tomb. Unless God sends Jesus to call us out of that tomb like he did with Lazarus, then, then there's nothing we can do. With Lazarus, there was nothing that he could do to make himself undead, apart from Christ coming and calling him out of that grave. And the same thing for us, there's nothing we can do to be at peace with God unless God sends Christ to be the Prince of Peace in our lives. So, so are we missing the, the magnificent part of this Christmas season, the incarnation of God coming to rescue and redeem man because we are forgetting that the wages of sin is death? that we are forgetting that before Christ came, we were dead in our graves and there's nothing we could do about it. That there were, we were enemies of God and there's nothing we could do on our own strength or power to make peace with God by ourselves. There, there was nothing. For the wages of sin is death, but the Prince of Peace came. That's what we celebrate, the baby in the manger. That's why we sing, let us come adore him that he's came. Let's marvel at this because the God of the universe, although we were enemies of his, sent Christ to bring us peace. I mean, that is it. That is the gospel. That is the, Christ, the Christmas message for us. But it gets even better than this. Again, if you have your scriptures, go back to John 14. Because not only do we have peace with God now and forevermore through Jesus Christ, but, but after the life of Christ, Christ sent us the Spirit so that we can have peace forever, that we can rest in the promises, that we can know that he has fulfilled them, and we can rest in the true spirit of peace forevermore. 
Because if we have peace with God, then, then what else matters? And this is what Jesus is getting at in John 14. We're going to read 25, or 25 through 27. These are from the lips of Jesus. These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. What does he mean by that? That the Holy Spirit is peace. Not as the world gives to you. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Christ in us, the Holy Spirit, is what brings us peace now and forevermore. So we can live in this season of tranquility. We can live in the season of bliss and rest and relaxation and the snow is falling, that, that moment of quietness or that first sip of coffee in the morning or whatever brings you most peace, we can live in that forever. I mean, even though the world is falling down around us because God has made us right through Christ and because we have the Spirit inside of us as Christ followers, Scripture says the peace we have, peace I leave you and the peace I give to you, which is the Holy Spirit. Here's how one theologian would say it. The Spirit-filled Christian has a peace that is abundant, available in every situation, and unlike anything that the world has to offer. The alternative to being filled with the Spirit and His peace is to be filled with alarm, filled with doubt, filled with foreboding, or filled with dread. How much better to let the Spirit have control and perform His work of growing fruit to the glory of God. So we have two choices We can live by the Spirit, which is peace, or we can live by the flesh, which is worry, doubt, fear, anxiety. Now, which one do you want? I mean, it's teed up for us Christians. Which life do we want to live? Do we want to live a life of tranquility and peace with God now and forevermore? No, I, I like the fear. I love to stay up at night just being anxious, thinking about things I can't control. That just brings me so much joy. I love just staying up wondering what my kids are going to be like when they get older. I love just waiting around going, man, I I cannot wait till I can't pay my bills this year because of Christmas. It's going to be so good. Right? I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but that's what we all do. We willingly choose this. Now, now what does this look like played out? I'm I'm sure you guys have seen this, but have you all read the story about Shelby Houston? Does that name ring a bell? So uh, a couple weeks ago, her father, who was a police officer, was shot and killed, Right? So here's this 18-year-old girl that just lost her dad, uh, who was a high-honor 21-year veteran of the Mesquite Police Department in Texas, right? So, so the, the man that killed her father then tried to take his own life but was unsuccessful. And so here's what this 18-year-old, Shelby Houston, stands up at her dad's funeral, and here's what she says. You want to talk about what peace from the Spirit looks like? Here it is. All that I can find is myself hoping and praying for this man to truly know Jesus. I thought this might, this might change if the man continued to live. But when I heard the news that he was in stable condition, part of me was relieved. My prayer is that someday down the road I get to spend time with the man who shot my father. Not to scream at him, not to yell at him, not to scold him, but to simply tell him about Jesus. So she's literally standing over her father's casket saying what she wants more than anything else in the world is to tell the man that's murdered her father how good Jesus is. That's a peace that surpasses understanding. 
I mean, that is a peace that only comes through understanding what God has done for us and the Holy Spirit residing in us. That is a peace that you can't fabricate, that you can't make up. That is the peace that Jesus offers us through the Spirit. And why would we want to choose the other way? Now, now what does this look like? Because, again, most of us have grown up where we understand that if we want to be more sanctified, if we want to grow up more in Christ, then all we have to do is white-knuckle effort. You can do this, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, which is the antithesis of the gospel. That the whole point of the gospel, like we saw in Romans 5, is you can do nothing to earn your salvation, but somewhere along the line we think that our own sanctification is fully up to us. So, so how do we grow in this peace that only comes through God being pleased with us and the Spirit residing inside of us? Well, the first thing we see is in John 15. We just abide. We stay connected to the vine. You ever wonder why the church is named the branch? John 15. Because this is what we're called to do as Christians, is we abide, we stay connected to, we find our rest in, we find our satisfaction in abiding in God alone, through Christ alone, the Spirit inside of us. We rest. The second thing we do to live at peace is we rejoice. Even when it doesn't make any sense, we rejoice. Here's what Philippians 4, 4 through 7 says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. No matter what the situation is, no matter what's going on, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I mean, here's, here it is. The Lord is with you. Then what else matters? Whatever situation that you think you found yourself in that you can't rejoice, just remember, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is with you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And here's what comes after that. Rejoice. Don't be anxious. Let, by everything, through prayer and supplication, let your thanksgiving and requests be known to God, Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. So we rejoice, we ask, we plead with the Lord, and then we let it go. And we rejoice. We're the weird ones. We should be counterculture in this. When the world is losing its mind, the church should be known for our rejoicing because the Lord is with us. What else, what else matters? What can you take from me? And the last we see in Romans 8, 31 through 32, we just remember. How do we live at peace? How do we grow in this idea of peace this Christmas season? We simply remember. Romans 8, 31 through 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If we have peace with God now and forevermore, then, then who can be against us? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with, gracious, also with him graciously give us all things? So how do we live at peace? Man, we just remember God is for us. Now this isn't saying that there's not going to be moments of anxiety in us. That there's not going to be moments of fear within us. I don't want to paint this picture that if you truly just live at peace, those moments are never going to flare up. Because we saw it with Jesus, right? We saw him in the garden, sweating blood. But how did he end that prayer? But God, if you're with me, if this is your will, then I'm, I'm good. 
So we can, we can go there really quickly, but how long do we stay there? That's the massive question for us. So we see peace with God. We see peace within ourselves, all that Christ has offered us through the Spirit. But lastly, what does it look like for us to have peace with others? Our, our peace on display throughout the world. That how does the world see us and understand that, that we are different, that we do have a peace that surpasses all understanding? First, I would say it's this. I mean, we don't, we don't, we, I joke about it all the time, but half of the time it's not a joke. That if you want to find the most uh, divided group of people, come to a church gathering. If you want to see some of like the most back, I mean, just fighting you've ever seen in your world, go to a church business meeting. If you want to have like someone disappoint you tremendously, just get to know a church deacon, right? I mean, I'm, I'm halfway joking. Our deacons are great. Don't, don't, not here. In general, I mean, we hear about that all the time. So, so we preach, man, Christ came to bring peace, and then the world looks at the church and goes, oh, really? That's the peace that Christ came for? I mean, here's Ephesians 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So the world should look at the church and see and experience and taste and understand peace, that through Christ we've been made right with God. We've been reconciled with God. We have the Spirit inside of us. God is for us. You can't touch us. There's nothing that's going to get us down. And when people walk into the room and they walk into our house, when they walk into family groups, they should feel just the spirit of peace. That no matter what comes in our life, if God is pleased with us through the work of Christ on the cross, man, we're good. Take, take everything. One of my favorite hymns is Take the World But Give Me Jesus. I just love that because that should be the message on display for us. So how can we preach a message of peace and not live it? I mean, can I just maybe say one more thing? Was it my notes, but I'll go for it anyways. We get so upset as big C Christians across the world, the church, how much Christmas is being stolen for some pagan holidays and shopping holidays. Well, you want to know how we can best restore it? Don't fight on social media. Live a life of peace. That's the best way we can restore it. Because what you're doing on social media and the war against Christmas would not even be a war if the church actually was just the church and welcoming people in and taught the beauty of Christ and who he is. Then there'd be no war on Christmas. Our churches would be filling to the brim with people. So what about those outside of the church that we were just talking about? Because Paul gives us a massive clue. I just want to spend a few minutes here. Romans 12, 18 through 20 starts this way. If possible, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. So what, what Paul is getting at here is that there is going to come a time and there's going to come a day where we cannot live peaceably with all. Because living peaceably with all would mean that we're going to have to compromise what is written in this book. We're going to have to compromise on what the gospel is. To live peaceably with all, at some point, that runway is going to run out. 
and we will try and we will love and we will serve, but at some point we're going to have to go, but we cannot go there with you. If this means division, we understand it. But we cannot compromise on what the gospel has told us to do, how it's called us to live, how it's called us to address people, how it's called us to serve people. We can't compromise on this. But if possible, by all means, live peaceably with all. And here's what I see, because I know our minds can automatically go to uh, some situations in our mind where, see, the pastor told me, I don't have to put up with that nonsense. You know the biggest nonsense, the people that Jesus could not live at peace with? The religious ones. It seemed like everyone else loved Jesus. It seemed like everywhere Jesus went, there was a massive crowd following him. So, before we jump to the conclusions where Man, because of the way that that sin affects that group of people, I cannot live peaceably with them, but I've never actually talked to them or loved them or served them. Let's, let's not jump there, church. If possible, Paul says, as far as it depends on you, without compromising the gospel, without compromising on the word of God, live peaceably with all. And lastly, with all this, Jesus even tells us, Matthew 10, 34 through 39, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Wait, what? But I thought that Prince of Peace, and, and then even in Luke 2 when you were born, they said peace is, uh, Jesus, I think you're mistaken. You're, Jesus, you, you missed your line. You're, you're supposed to bring peace. You, you missed, no, what he's saying is, is what Paul is going to fully affirm later. As far as it depends on you, but the moment that we pick up our cross and follow him, the moment that we've come to follow Christ with everything that we have, there's going to come moments for us that we just can't. That our love for Christ is going to look like hatred of the world. That there's, it's an impossibility. There's going to be a division between us and the world. Because the peace that Jesus here is talking about is a peace between God and man not a full peace among the earth. This isn't some kind of uh, utopian, there's going to be a peace that's going to flow everywhere. No, the peace that Jesus is talking about, that he offers as a prince of peace, is a joy, is a connection between us and God. And all of this cannot be done unless we have a peace with us that God is satisfied and he loves us only through the prince of peace, King Jesus. And so this is what we celebrate, that we have peace with God. This is what we celebrate. This is what we remember, that we have the spirit inside of us, that, that we're untouchable, that, that if God is for us, as Romans would say, who can be against us? That there's nothing that can get us down as the church. Yeah, there might be moments, there might be flares up, flare-ups, but if Christ is for us, then who can be against us? If God has saved us, even when we were enemies, then, then we're good, then we're golden, and this is how 2 Thessalonians ends. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and every way. The Lord be with you all. That's my prayer for us this morning. That we remember these words. That we remember the great commission, right? Go make disciples. But how did that end? And remember, I'm with you always to the end of time. That is what peace is. And the best way for us to remember that this morning, for our hearts to be drawn back to that, is through communion. So in a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and, and then we're going to go in the back, and there's bread, and there's juice for us to remember 
that Christ came, that even when we were enemies, even when we were exiles, even when we were at war with God, God sought after peace with us through sending Christ to die in our place. He lived sinlessly, perfectly, but he still died for our sin. And that is where peace comes from. So let me read 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 29 for us. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drink of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon themselves. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to have a moment just examination. And here's what this means. For, for the believers in this room, where do you not have peace because we're willingly choosing to try to control our own lives? That if we've been reconciled with God, we have peace with God. If we have the spirit inside of us, we have peace inside of us. So what is it that's bringing fear, worry, doubt, anxiety? What is it that you need to release? What situation, what relationship, what problem do you have that this morning you finally need to hand over to the Prince of Peace? And go, if you're for me, then, then I know you're going to work all this out, and I'm done. I'm done worrying, concerning, thinking about it. I trust you. And if you're not a believer, we're going to ask you to refrain from the table because this is a special time for the believers. But I would just simply ask you, don't you want the Prince of Peace? Don't you want to be reconciled with God? That he made him who knew no sin, which is Jesus, to be sin for us, for you, so that we might become the righteousness of God, so that we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding. That is what's offered to you. It's Christ crucified on your behalf. And then when we're ready, we'll go take communion. Whatever that fear, doubt, worry, anxiety is, leave it at the table as remembered all that Christ has done for us. So let's pray. Father, as we prepare to examine our hearts before this time of communion, Father, what, what is it that we are doubting, worrying, fearing over this morning? Through Jesus, God, you offer us peace now and forevermore. Through the Spirit inside of us, we don't have to worry, fret, doubt, or anything. And so, Father, this morning, through the power of the Spirit, would you remove that from us? As we're walking into this Christmas season, whatever this fear, doubt, worry is, would we just cling to you, the Prince of Peace? Would we fall before your feet? Would we worship you and would we release everything that's causing any kind of uh, unsettledness in our hearts and our minds this morning? As we take the bread and we drink the juice, what represents your body and your blood, would we worship you as the Prince of Peace that has brought us peace now and forevermore? Father, it's only through your Son, King Jesus, that we pray. Amen.